if you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, our speaker will tell you where to go with it momentarily. If you're wondering about the lockers and the bleachers and the platform, it's because we're getting ready for Game On, which is the theme of our Vacation Bible School here another week. So you'll see those props up there for a little while. Yeah, I love telling the uh, the Engage Network church planting story because it all starts with me not having my own way, which is a good thing. Uh, so, um, and you'll see, I'll, I'll mention that in a minute. Some of you already know the story behind that. But the Lord Jesus, uh, in the very early part of his ministry, after doing some healing, said these words. He said, let us go on to, uh, to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. That's a purpose statement, right? To, for us, it means to plant churches. By the way, I just noticed something. Uh, I, I knew this already, but I just, the bears are here. Is your husband here? He, he's coming up the, he's walking up the aisle now. Let's, and stand up, Teresa, would you? Uh, the Lucas and Teresa Bear, our missionaries to Brazil, are here. They're in the mission house. They'll be here this summer. So bother them night or day. They don't care when you come over. I'm kidding. That's not what he said. But uh, welcome, Lucas and Teresa. Boys, glad to have you back. We're excited. They're going to be a part of our missions conference, by the way, uh, this fall. So, uh, so anyway, back to our mission of uh, church planning. I just want to kind of put a frame around what you're going to, um, part of what you're going to experience this morning by way of our next church planting pastor. And back in 2003, God was blessing Sailorville Church. We were growing. We thought we had something we could help other churches out. We, our desire was to get other churches to be gospel-centered, and, uh, and we wanted to help them. So we, be, we started a conference, and we, we decided to call the conference Engage. And here, is, uh, here we are at that first conference in 2003. We even had uh, uh, the logo there. And if you can see the little connecting signs, uh, the whole the, 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 the idea was engaged, that was to connect the gospel, that's the engagement was the gospel, connecting the gospel to every area of ministry in your church. And so this conference went on for a couple of years. It was, we really enjoyed it, except for, you know, there was only about 50 people coming to it. So we realized it was it didn't have a lot of longevity. But looking at that will help you to see where we got our idea for the church planting uh, logo, the fellowship of churches we now call Engage. You see the connecting points. So there's the little history behind it for you little trivia for this, this morning. But as I said, that conference, which was designed to uh, help churches become more gospel-centered, uh, we, we brought in uh, the guy who was my associate for a couple of years, Dave Heisterkamp, who had, he had now moved on. He was pastoring a little church up north, and uh, he was coming down and sharing his experiences in this conference. The, the conference eventually sort of fizzled out, but the name and the vision didn't. So a couple years later, we did a major remodel. You're sitting in it, poured about a million dollars in this worship center and built part of that. We added on to our facility, a, a, a nursery, now the counseling center. Uh, and so when we got done with that, I thought the only spiritual thing for a church of 500 people to do is to have a gymnasium. Amen? So I... I, what I didn't really realize was our people were tapped out. In the, in the offering for that gymnasium, it was so pitiful. I didn't even announce to the church how pitiful the offering was. 
And I was sort of mopey, went back to the office that next Monday. I was sort of bemoaning the fact that our people didn't get behind this gymnasium. And Kevin Thomas, our counseling pastor at the time, just sort of off the cuff said, well, maybe it's time for us to plant a church. And it's as if God gave me a spiritual epiphany right in the moment. I said, what did you just say? I don't know, maybe we ought to plant a church. And then the thought came to my mind, why don't, if we can't inspire other churches to be uh, soul-winning churches, why don't we start a soul-winning church? So I called Dave Heischerkamp, who had always had a desire to plant a church, because he'd run, in, he'd run up against a, a few obstacles up there where he was at. And we met privately in Webster City, Iowa. We didn't tell anybody about this. We found a little coffee shop. When the coffee shop got wind of what we were doing, they just moved everything around for us. We got our little napkins and everything we could scribble on. And in about six to eight hours, sitting in that coffee shop, we came up with the template for what would become the Engage Church Planning Network. We didn't have a clue as to what we were doing, which is just a total God thing. I mean, part of that was the three P's we still hold to to this day. We start with the planter or the preacher or the pastor, call them whatever P you want. The planter and then the place. We determine the place after that. And then we people it with a core group and we grow uh, from there. We also determined during that time that we would have a 150, 25 and out kind of philosophy towards supporting this guy. In other words, we didn't want the church planner to come in and have to become a tent maker. We didn't want him to take another job. We wanted him to be able to give 100% of his time to the ministry, reaching uh, the community wherever he was. So we determined that we would get the resources together to, to help him, give him some seed money, give him a pile of money, give him a van. And we, we determined all all of that during that time in Webster City that day. So 100% totally supported the first year. We'd cut it in half the second year. We'd cut it in half the third year. And by the fourth year, we trust that they were on their own. And by the way, that's exactly the way we followed that thing. That was, you know, 13 years ago. So Dave Heisterkamp became our very first church planner. We had no clue in those days that we would become a church planting network. We just wanted to plant a church. And sure enough, Lakeside Fellowship was born. If you haven't driven by there in Polk City, they're beautifully brand new, fully paid for church. In fact, our speaker is an associate pastor there uh, today. So excited about what God is doing there. Hooked him up with Josh Daggett at the time, the athletic director at Faith Baptist Bible College. Had a heart for souls. We taught him how to win souls here. He came out of Sailorville, hooked up with Dave. And in three years, we planted Living Waters Fellowship on the side. Outside. They're baptizing people right now as we speak. They're baptizing people. Isn't that cool? And God's blessed. They got their own property. They're hoping to build a building down there. And we hooked him up with Greg Pollock, who, was a, who came to Christ under the ministry of Sailorville Church. Uh, former Roman Catholic was converted. God just put a passion in Greg to be able to preach the gospel. He was discipled by Josh. And three years later, High Point Church from Altoona was born. And they're baptizing people today. And so then, a guy who had actually witnessed to Greg Pollock before he became a Christian came under Greg Pollock because they were already friends, and we were able to work in Jason Gerwell's life, and four years ago in Winterset, Iowa, home of John Wayne, we planted Redeemer Church. They're not baptizing people today. Anyway, God's blessing them too, though. So the Lord has been just so blessing us, and in all the time we are working 
laboring, praying, searching, interviewing for the next man up. And God has brought us that man, and he's with us today. The Engaged Network has begun in earnest toward a fifth church plant. Yeah, you can clap. Praise the Lord. It's not there yet, but we're moving in that direction. And we're not ready to announce the place, so don't ask him, although he might say something a little different I, today, but don't ask him. Because it's, it's, the, it's the pastor, the planter, the preacher, then the place. We're not quite there yet, but, uh, or the name, that's to be determined. But we are so excited to announce to you our, uh, our next church planner in the Engage Network, Pastor Adam Beecher. Let's give him a Sailorville round of applause as he comes and preaches today. Good morning, Sailorville. I don't mind if you ask me where the church is going to be. I don't know where it's going to be. So my, uh, my standard answer is, where would you plant a church? So you can ask that question, but I, I, will, I will follow it up. I want to know where you would plant one. Um, okay, so uh, this is actually uh, my first worship service at Sailorville Church. I've, I've never been to a, a Sunday morning service at Sailorville. And um, this is, I would highly recommend, if you're checking out churches, to do it this way. To come in the first time, preach a message, and then see if it's a fit for you. Uh, the first service went well, so, so, so far so good for me. Now, I'm, I'm glad it's a bad ministry model, but I'm glad they made an exception for me. Um, and, and the reason I haven't ever been to Sailorville Church, I'm kind of a second-generation engaged guy. I wasn't in on the Lakeside plant. I came to Lakeside maybe four years into the plant. Um, but I can tell you... I'm very grateful for this church, and I've been a direct beneficiary of the ministry of this church. And I'll I'll share a little bit about that in a little bit. But uh, as a result, Pastor uh, Pat has asked me to share my testimony, and I'm glad to do that because um, your church has influenced me, and and I want to get to know you better. I'll I'll be here at the end of the service. I'd like to to meet some of you because God's kind of joined us in a a unique way, just beyond being brothers and sisters in Christ, um, this whole whole church planning network. um, God's really done an amazing work. in my life through, through you. Um, so, so I'm going to share my testimony. I, I always love sharing what God's done in my life, but I also know that it's Sunday morning and you've come to hear from God's word and, you, and it's, it's probably a better endeavor to know God better by the end of today than to know me better. So here's what we'll do. I'll split my time in half. I'll share a little bit of my story. I'll preach on a text. And then if you'll have me back, uh, we'll just, we'll get into a text. I'll talk hundred percent about God and I won't talk about myself at all. Does that sound good? Okay, so um, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. I'm going to start at, at verse 13. Exodus chapter 9. Should be on the screen as well. So just a little background here. Uh, we're jumping in the middle of a story that many of you are probably familiar with, the 10 plagues in Egypt. Uh, Israel is enslaved under Pharaoh. He will not let uh, Moses' people go. And um, so, so uh, God has a little conference here with Moses before he's going to unleash the seventh plague, which is hail, hail that comes in and destroys uh, many of the crops. So just a couple things I want you to know uh, and think about before we read this text. Number one, this is the fifth recorded time that God has told Pharaoh, let my people go. He's, so this is number five. So Pharaoh knows what's at stake here. He is choosing to be uh, disobedient. Uh, this is the first plague with human casualties. If you don't take shelter in this plague, uh, you will die. Um, and, and, so, and so God is ratcheting up the intensity here. This is also the first time God says why he has sent a plague. So listen for that. And, and finally, and most importantly for, for our purposes this morning, uh, this, in, in this little episode, God 
uh, tells Pharaoh the purpose uh, for his life. Wouldn't that be cool to have that little interaction, to just to have God tell you directly, this is why you were born. This is why I raised you up. Um, so I, I've chosen this text because that's a question um, that, that, that's consumed a lot of my life. How does God use people? How is he going to use me? Um, and, and, and often, uh, as you'll find in my testimony, God would use me in spite of my efforts and not because of them. Uh, let's pray, and then I'll read the passage and we'll, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for your word, uh, Lord. We turn to it now, uh, and we ask that you would bless, uh, bless the reading, bless the, the message, Lord. Help us to know, uh, know for certain uh, our purpose, why you have us here, Lord, and to, to, to work diligently um, towards that purpose, God. We're so, great, we're so grateful uh, for the opportunity to know you and to serve you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Exodus 9. I'll, I'll start at 13 and end at 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. So God tells Pharaoh the purpose of his life. And I can remember at approximately the age of 10, uh, praying a prayer about that purpose of my life. So this is a picture of, of me when I was about 10. I'm the sharp looking boy with the giant ears on the right there. Um, so I had a, had a great upbringing. I grew up in West Bend, Iowa. I love my folks. They took us to church. Um, uh, very, very uh, fond memories of growing up. But about this age, I can remember praying for the first time uh, a prayer that I would pray often in my life. And that it was a very simple prayer. It was, Lord, use me. That's a pretty noble thing for a 10-year-old to pray, isn't it? Lord, use me. I want you to use me. But as a 10-year-old, I offered just a, a caveat at the end of that. I, I, I prayed, Lord, use me as a professional basketball player. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought God was getting a pretty good deal on this one because I was going to be generous with all that money that I was going to be making, and I would be a public figure that was a Christian. Now, on my side, I'd get, you know, with a thing that every kid wants, I'd be a professional athlete or whatever. But I prayed, God, use me as, as, a, as a player in the NBA. Um, you probably guessed he did not answer that prayer. He did not make me an NBA player. But he did do something through a, a really small, uh, seemingly insignificant act that changed my life just a couple years later from that picture. Uh, my mom was at a, a conference. She came home with a little What Would Jesus Do booklet. You remember when the What Would Jesus Do was kind of a craze or whatever? Um, so, so I was reading through that booklet. I tore through it in an afternoon. And I'm reading verse after verse, and they would explain what the verses meant. And as I'm, as I'm reading it, um, it was the first time I realized um, I'm seeking this purpose it really has something to do with Jesus. Um, all the things that I was trying to accomplish, even as a young kid, sports, arts, all that sort of thing, it, it really paled in comparison to what Christ had accomplished uh, on the cross for me, dying on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven, so I could be a child of God. I didn't know that. I'd never heard that before. 
Um, so that profoundly changed me. At the, at the back of that little book, there was a prayer, like a, like a sample prayer to pray, and my heart was ready. I prayed it. God saved me that day when I was 14 years old. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, I marry my high school sweetheart. Her name's Gina. Uh, we, we both go to the University of Iowa, and I have a picture of that where I was the president of the AV club at the University of Iowa. That's, that's about as good as being the starting quarterback on that campus. That was, that's how cool I was. That's a, a multi-camera edit at the homecoming parade, in case you were curious. So anyways, so I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, I'm growing, uh, growing intellectually, growing in my faith, um, and I, but, but I'm still concerned with purpose. And so I pray a prayer once again, and I say, Lord, use me. Only this time I'm more mature, so I add a little more mature caveat at the end of that. I say, Lord, use me as a famous filmmaker. Now, yet again, I think God gets a pretty good deal here. I wasn't going to make anything smutty or dirty. My stuff was all going to be clean. Um, And I was going to be a Christian filmmaker. I was maybe even going to make Christian movies. I might have even made good Christian movies. Like that was, that was, I thought God was getting a good deal. And then, and, and, and in return, you know, I'd get, I'd get kind of the dream that I'd always wanted to, I'd always wanted to accomplish or from college on. Um, so I prayed that prayer and you guessed it. He did not answer it because you don't, you don't recognize me from any of my films, do you? No. So he didn't, he didn't, rec- he didn't, he didn't answer that prayer. Uh, we, we, my wife and I moved out to New York for a couple of years. We come back. But God did do something again a little bit after that part of my life, small, seemingly insignificant. We come, my wife and I come back to Polk City. Uh, you can show the next picture. This is just modern day. That's my wife, Gina. Luke is the bigger boy there than Ben and Noel. She's born on Christmas Day. They weren't here when we moved back. They came later. So me and my wife are moving to Polk City, and uh, they have a, around Christmas time, they have a lighting of the square where people set up tables on the, on the square in Polk City. Um, a quick aside, I've, I've participated in that ministry. It's not one of our most fruitful things that, that we do at Lakeside. It's a good like meet and greet with the community, but, but it's not the, the, the best thing that we do. Anyways, Deb Heisterkamp is, is faithfully serving in that ministry, and she's trying to meet people in the community. And so I meet Deb, uh, Dave's wife, uh, that day. She's from New York. We strike up a conversation about New York or whatever, and we, say, we decide, oh, we should go to Lakeside. That little seemingly insignificant interaction, her, just Deb being faithful, serving in the community, um, led to us going to really our first church family. Um, I'd been saved, but I'd never seen what it looked like when God's people got together. They were sharpening each other. They got together and worshiped um, and grew up in community. Um, so God did an awesome thing there. Um, so, so here I am. I, I'm, not, I'm not in the NBA. I didn't become a filmmaker. I'm just a cameraman or whatever. So I think God's, God's really humbled me. What's, what's, what's the next step down? <laughs> what's, the, what's the most humbling thing I can do now that I'm in this church, now that I'm part of it? And my answer was I can serve in children's church. That would be pretty humbling. So I do it. I, I teach our, our first grade kids for truth, and I hate it. They're not listening to me at all. I'm not having an impact in their lives. Um, it seems pretty worthless. Second year comes around. I sign on for another year just out of duty or obligation, whatever. Third year, fourth year. I eventually became the children's pastor at Lakeside. Um, just recently, they changed that, that job description. They had to tear me away from that ministry. God did such a work in that little, just in that little first grade room class uh, to the point where I, my, my heart totally 180'd. I loved, I, I came to love sharing the gospel with kids. 
I could, I, in fact, I couldn't think of, of, of a better use of my time than to talk about Jesus with little kids who, who they, don't, they don't seem like they're paying attention, but they are. They want to know. They want to know about, about Christ and the hope that we have in him. So if you, if you do children's ministry, by the way, that's, it's, there's, there are a few things you can do that, that are better usage of your time. It's, it's such a great ministry. My prayer is that Sailorville would always be a church uh, where they don't have to beg people to do children's church, that people are just knocking on the door because it's, it's such an awesome thing and, and God used it powerfully in my life. So anyways, uh, God, God did that to give me a heart for sharing the gospel, to give me a heart for ministry. So I go to seminary. I become a, I become a pastor part-time at first. Uh, then in 2014, the day before my 30th birthday, I'm going to preach my first sermon at Lakeside Fellowship. Um, and I'm ready to go. Uh, this is my coronation. This is, uh, this is me stepping out in this new thing. The filmmaker thing was selfish. Now I'm a pastor. So I pray once again, Lord, use me. And this time, I added a really noble caveat. I said, Lord, use me as a preacher of your word. Isn't that a great thing to say? Use me powerfully in the lives of the people that I'm going to be preaching with. Use me, Lord. Make me, a, make me somebody who would, who would drive someone to action. So uh, I pray that prayer in Salaville. I'm happy to report God answered it because that morning, my first sermon at Lakeside, I preached a powerful message that people at the, at the church still talk about to this day. I've got a 30-second clip here for you. It's very hot up here. <laughs> so I'll take a breather. Okay. <laughs> I'm not feeling very well here, Pastor, actually. Oh. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a little bit faint. Sorry. Um. <laughs> He's gonna get you a drink of water. Okay, that'll be good. Yep. Yep, that'll be good. Is it going well? Yeah, you think it's going, going well? well? Okay. Give him an amen So if you couldn't tell, that was me needing to stop the service because I was 10 seconds away from passing out. <laughs> I was drenched in sweat and my throat was chalk. <laughs> and I was never more scared in my life. I looked and Gina, Gina was like, she had her head between her legs. And I came to find out she was praying for me. That was very sweet. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, God, the ship's going down. <laughs> it's going down fast. Um, I'm gonna be, so let me be honest with you. When I prayed that prayer, Lord, use me as a preacher, I was much more concerned about me. I wanted, I wanted people to view me as a pastor. I wanted to succeed at it. I wanted to be good at it. And God did use the sermon. He really did. If you ask anybody at Lakeside, if they remember it, they do. They won't be able to tell you the text. But they remember when I almost passed out and was humbled in front of all of them. God used my failure in that instance uh, to humble me. So, so, so bring up my prayer again. Lord, use me. When I, when, whenever in my life, whenever I prayed that up to this point, in this prayer, the me was always more important than the Lord. Lord, use me. Make me great. Do this thing that I want to do. I'll, I'll acknowledge you, but use me. And so it was with Pharaoh. Progressively through these plagues, he starts acknowledging, yes, there is a God. God is doing something. He even, he even repents. Um, but he keeps trying to set the terms of obedience. Why does he do this? Why does he give God conditions? Well, the Bible says because his heart grows hard. It grows increasingly hard uh, the more that the plagues come. Uh, and, and in the passage that we just read, God says, you are still exalting yourself. Pharaoh was after his own glory. Seven plagues in. 
I, his, his marriage must have been different than mine. If my wife opened the cupboard for the third day of the row and frogs flew out, she would say, repent now of everything, right? He is still, though, he is still clinging to his glory. He still wants it. And then when he does confess, it's always conditional. Yes, you may go into the desert, but only the men can go. Moses says no. Uh, you, you, all the people can go, but you can't take any of the livestock. He keeps trying to hedge. He keeps trying to set the conditions. And then in this passage for today, God says why he raised him up. Why are you here? What is your purpose, Pharaoh? It's not what he thought it was. The glory of Egypt, the glory of himself. Pharaoh was viewed as a god. He was a deity. Um, but what, is, what does God say Pharaoh is? In, in Exodus 9.16, he says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. Raised you up, by the way, is not just uh, you know, from a baby to a kid. Uh, you, know, you grew up. It's also, I've spared your life up to this point. I haven't wiped you out yet because, why? I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why you're here, Pharaoh. You are here so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, and sometimes we, as we read this, kind of view it as a battle. Pharaoh is evil and God is good and eventually God's going to win, right? God says, that's not it at all. I am, I am, it's more like a director of a play or a movie. I am over everything, and I've cast you as the villain. You just don't know it yet, right? The, the, the story of the ten plagues is, is increasingly dawning on Pharaoh that he's the bad guy, that God is using him, um, but, but it's not because of him, it's in spite of him. So, in conclusion, and this is kind of the one kind of point of the message, I want you to take this away if nothing else. In a technical sense, you never have to pray this prayer, Lord, use me. I think God knows what you mean if you do pray. I think he knows what, I mean, what I've meant when I prayed it. But you never really have to pray, Lord, use me, because he's going to. He's going to use you. Uh, the question is, is he using you uh, through your efforts or in spite of them? He can use both your faith and your foolishness. He can use them both. Uh, so, so you might say, well... God's going to do, God's going to do, he's going to use whatever I do. So, okay, sarah, sarah, I will just do whatever and God will be glorified. No. God uh, can use your sin in your life. He can use that, um, but you don't want him to. It's, it's really painful whenever you chase uh, an idol, especially if you've been chasing it for many years in your life and you have that idol turn into ash in your hands. That's painful. Uh, the basketball thing in my story was kind of a funny, that's kind of a kid thing. Uh, but, but the filmmaker thing, I, I chased that, that dog for years. And then eventually it just, God just went poof, nothing. So that was a lot of nights just kind of staring at the wall saying, Lord, what are you doing? How, I, how are you using me at all? So God can use you, uh, he can use the sin in your life, but you don't want him to. And the same is true with Pharaoh. God said, he, I'm, come, I'm going to judge the gods of Egypt. He said that. So, you know, they, they thought the Nile was divine. Um, they had a sun god. Uh, they had a god that was like a frog and a cow. What's God do? He turns the Nile into, into blood. He ruins it. He blocks out the sun. The frog god apparently has got no control because the frogs all come and they, can't, and they can't stop it. He's taking the things that they elevated to important, purposeful things, uh, purpose of my life things, and he's turning them into ash right before their eyes. Why? So that his name might be proclaimed. So I, but I have good news for you. The very same reason for Pharaoh's life, the reason that God gave is the reason for your life. God has made you so that he, he might show his power and that, and that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Paul is t- tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, it's funny, why did God save Paul? You could answer that in a lot of different ways. One of the things he says is he saved me so that he could show how patient he is. His unlimited patience. That is why he saved me, so that he could show what a great God he is in me. So what do we do then? God can use them both. What are we supposed to do? I'm reminded of the story right before Jesus is about to go to the cross when he's talking to his disciples. And uh, he's talking about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. Where do we go? That's a purpose question, right? What's the way? What's the way that we're supposed to follow? And you just know that Thomas was thinking, he was either thinking like, I need a physical map to this physical place, so he's way off the mark there, or he was thinking like, what do I need to do to get to heaven? What are the things I need to check off to do? And what does Jesus say? I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. The way, the purpose is standing right before you. So asking God for the purpose in your life is foolish because when you do that, you're asking the purpose itself. He made you for him, for his glory. So let me conclude with this. In in my life, whenever I uh, had kind of a big grand scheme, a big idea for myself, and I'd throw in a half-hearted acknowledgement of God, throw in a side of God with that, ambition, um, it always resulted in pain. It resulted in, in embarrassment in some instances. It resulted in time lost. I could have um, been such a better witness to people. I could have been so much more loving to some of the people I went to school with and interacted with, but I was, I was pursuing a worthless idol during those times. Now God used it, but, but, but it was painful. Um, and on the other side, those little acts of faithfulness from people in my life had a profound effect on me. Deb serving at a lighting of the square. My mom giving me that book. Pastor Pat talked about just a, a staff meeting where someone says, hey, what if we planted a church? Just people being faithful in everyday little interactions, that's the stuff that had a profound impact on my life uh, and, and likely yours. Um, so if, if Pharaoh is the, is the negative... Pharaoh is the, God can use you, but you don't want him to use you this way. Then Moses is going to balance us out, and, he, and he's the positive. Moses certainly required patience just like Pharaoh. You remember when God calls him at the burning bush, Moses got all kinds of excuses why he cannot lead Israel. I can't talk, choose my brother, whatever. Um, but eventually God says, God says I, listen, I'm going to deliver you. I'm promising you that. I need you to be faithful now. I need you to go to Pharaoh. So he goes to Pharaoh, and as you know, Pharaoh makes it worse. The, uh, the bricks without straw, they have to go get their own straw. He makes it worse on, on Israel. And in Exodus 5, Moses has this interaction with God. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? That's a good purpose question, right? Why have you sent me? What are we doing here? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses needs to know, God, are you using me? It doesn't seem like it. And I'm so thankful that God did not respond with all the details of how he was going to use him. He didn't say, oh, Moses, you got it wrong here. I'm going to send 10 plagues. On the 10th plague, you guys are going to get out of Dodge. You're going to go out in the desert. You'll be up against the Red Sea. The army's going to come. I'm going to split the sea. You cross right over. I'll, I'll fold the sea back on him, and that's how we're going to do it. If he'd have said that, Moses would have been like, oh, good. I can, check, I can check all these events off as they're going, right? But God says, I've promised your deliverance. That's going to be enough. Now I need your obedience, right? 
He does the same with us. I think all my life I'm praying, Lord, use me, Lord, use me, Lord, use me. And God is, tell, is, is telling me, Adam, abide in me. Just be faithful to me. Be obedient to me. Um, the purposes are found in his promises. They're not found in the schemes that we dream up. Um, so anyway, so, so they have this interaction, Moses and God. Moses is full of doubt, but he, but he reluctantly, I guess, goes and is obedient. And then a pattern emerges in Moses' life. With each of the plagues, God says, go tell Pharaoh this, and he goes and does it. Word of God comes down, delivers it. Word of God comes down, delivers it. He just gets to work. He just does whatever God tells him. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but he knows he will be delivered ultimately. And then uh, it changes him. Flip over, uh, or I have it up on the screen here. Uh, there's another interaction between God and Moses uh, in chapter 14. Now, this is when their heels, their backs against the wall, they're at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's yet again changed his mind. He's, the army's pursuing him. And now Israel has a little panic attack of, of purpose here. They said to Moses, this is Israel, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? So now they want to know, God, how are you using this? It doesn't look like you are. Our backs are against the wall. But Moses is a changed man because he knows about the promise and he's obedient in the day to day. So listen to what he says. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. That is the heart of of a changed man. And that is a heart of somebody who has been promised deliverance and he's counting on it. Salaville, the same is true of us. God has promised your deliverance. If you don't know God at all, if you've, if you've been living your life as if you hate God and you don't really much care for the church thing at all, God has still promised you that if you turn to him, if you repent, uh, if you ask for forgiveness of your sins, if you follow Jesus, that he will deliver you from those sins, that you will be a son or daughter of God. He's promised that. As it happens, he's promised us a boatload of other things as well. He's promised that eventually he will wipe away every tear of every believer in this room. Do you believe that? He's promised that in the end, people from every tongue and tribe will praise him. And how is he going to accomplish that? He's going to accomplish it through us, through the church. He's promised that. He's also promised that this world is going to get worse and worse, but that we, the people who follow God, will serve as a light in that world. Are those promises enough for you? Are the promises of God enough for you to hope in? For, uh, for me, uh, what this means is that uh, I'm planning this church, I'm, I'm a part of that, and that old temptation comes back, and I think, boy, I hope this is successful. I hope people come to the church. I hope the right people be a part of the core group, right? That's that old temptation. Lord, use me. Use me. Um, but but he's, he's changed me since then. He's, he's been doing a work in my life. And now I know my, my resolve is uh, there's, there's one person that needs to come on this plant, and that's Christ. Anybody else is gravy. Maybe Christ and my wife. My wife ought to come. Um, but that's, 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 that's what I'm resolved to do. That's the, he's promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That's good for me. 
That's good for me to be just obedient in the day-to-day stuff. I got plenty of people to minister to right now. I've got people in my life right now that need to know about him. And I'm just going to be obedient in the day-to-day and trust that the big picture, the purposeful stuff, that God's taken, God's taken care of it. How, what, what is the application for you? Because you're not all planning churches, I presume. Um, it, seems to me, it seems to me you have two options before you, and they sit at, at the coast, uh, coastline of the Red Sea. There's two men at that, at, that, at that shore. One of them has been faithfully obedient to God and is trusting in his deliverance. And in front of him lies the promised land. That's going to take a lot of pain to get there, as you know if you've read the book of Exodus. God doesn't, God doesn't promise that following him is a pain-free experience whatsoever. But in front of him is the promised land, and that promised land is just a taste. It's just a whiff of the ultimate deliverance that God's going to give him. The other man on that shore is the floating corpse of Pharaoh. You should reread the account. It, it actually does say that the Israelites saw the Egyptians washed up on the shore. So the other man is Pharaoh, floating, floating in the water, and behind him is the kingdom that he has built, that he has, that he has given his life to in ruins and in rubble, because God has judged it. God has judged it as unworthy, and, and, it, and it's, it's in ruins now. So we have, we have, we have a choice. God, God, God will use, if, if you're in sin, God will use it. Uh, if you're not, if you're uh, not content, if you're, uh, if you love comfort more uh, than than anything else, God will use that, uh, but you don't want Him to. What you want to do is trust in the promises He's given us because they're unbelievable. They're, they're, they're so filled with hope. I've only listed a few. Come here for a year of Sundays, you'll hear more about the promises God has given us. And all He asks you, all He asks you, Salaville, is that you trust Him you believe those promises and that day to day in the simple things that you do, you follow him. The, the very small acts that you do, how you speak to your wife or your husband, uh, the, the, the ways that you serve in, in ministry. Um, if, you, if, you, if you're faithful in those, God will not only use you, um, but, but like Moses, um, you will see his power and you will see his wonders. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, we want to be useful, Lord, but sometimes that comes from a very selfish place. Uh, So God, we just want this morning uh, to lift up your name, and we want to ask that everything we do, everything we say, uh, would not reflect well on us, but would reflect well on Christ. We want to be your ambassadors, Lord. Uh, We're certainly imperfect ambassadors, uh, but God bless us. Give us that that ability, that desire uh, to be faithful in the little day-to-day stuff and to put our hope and trust in the great uh, deliverance that you've given some some now uh, and have promised in in a far greater measure uh, in days to come. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.